Here's your host of Sound Off, Brad Bennett. Well, Northlanders, uh, welcome back to hour number three here on a Thursday. Uh, by the way, we were talking in the last hour about the fact that uh, President Joe Biden is uh, allowing uh, offshore gas and oil leases to expire and not replacing them with new ones. The last paragraph in this story, I think, tells it all. And I wonder whether President Joe Biden even cares. The last paragraph says, A lapse in the federal offshore leasing program could jeopardize Americans' energy security, cost thousands of jobs, and risk billions in lost federal, state, and local revenues, according to an analysis prepared by the Energy and Industrial Advisory Council. Does he care? Probably not, because his goal is to do away with gas and oil as best well, he can, so he don't care. That's a good question, Brad, and I think something that I haven't thought of, and okay, so we're going to end fossil fuels uh, in the U.S. Does that mean Saudi Arabia is going to stop pumping oil? Does that mean oh, no. other oil-producing nations are going to stop no, in fact, uh, as we as we talked a little bit about yesterday, Kenny, or the day before, uh, Biden has started to buy a hundred thousand barrels of oil a month out of where uh, Argentina or yeah, it was Argentina. Venezuela, Venezuela, the dirtiest, filthiest oil prepared. The, these people, uh, they they don't know how to uh, do oil exploration very good. They've got American firms down there, but they. Their their veins of oil are deep, but not very good, and they're very dirty. And uh, so we're we don't care. We're gonna we're gonna bring it in, refine it as best we can, use it here, because Biden does know that we're gonna have to have oil and gas for a number of years. In fact, oil and gas many times are parts of what we do for plastics, those kinds of things, and we're gonna need a lot of that stuff for years to come. Say. I, I want to switch switch uh, I want to switch uh, takes on you here, Kenny. Yesterday you brought up I think uh, I think a very interesting. Uh, yesterday was what the anniversary of the uh, uh, miracle on ice in 1980. Yes. I found a piece this morning by Joe Posnoski, and it, it it was just it the title of it made me read it. It said ten interesting facts you may not know about the miracle on ice. Hmm. Do you want, I know. It kind of piqued my... Do you want to know them? Uh, yeah, of course. Okay, I'll give them to you. I'm, I'm going to see if I've heard any of these before. Okay, I'm sure you have heard some, I all would right. think. Uh, well, first of all, uh, well, now and then, what happens in a sports writer's life... Uh, I did a story for Sports Illustrated this week on Bob Costas and Al Michaels. And to research the story, I asked if they could send me a DVD of the 1980 Olympic hockey game between the U.S. and Soviet Union. The Do You Believe in Miracles game. And they did. And, of course, I have seen bits and pieces of that game many times since uh, 1980. We all have. But I have not seen the actual game beginning to end with extra commentary by Jim McKay since I was 13 years old. Watching that game film, the the DVD, more than once was incredible. 
and it inspired me to write up 10 things that you may or may not have known about the Miracle on Ice. Number 10, the game was not, I mean, you, you covered this a little bit yesterday, Kenny, the game was not broadcast live. Well, it's not exactly right. It was broadcast live on Canadian TV, so a few people up near the border saw it, but most of the country, almost all of the country, really, saw it on tape delay in prime time. The game had ended less than an hour before it was broadcast. Funny, a lot of people still think they saw the game live, but I know that one of my strongest memories confirmed by the tape was of McKay saying that it was tape delayed and that if even one person didn't know the outcome, well, he wasn't going to be the one to break the news. I have seen polls through the years that suggested most of the people who watched the game on television did not know the outcome. I know that my father and I did not. That shows you how how long ago 1980 was in terms of technology. There's no way you could keep that secret today. Yeah. Well, number number if yeah. I, Can I real quickly, Brad? Sure. That's not true. Because, again, we learned from Pat Pacella, a longtime radio guy in this market, that WDSM was going to get the feed from CBC. It turned out WEBC got the feed. The Twin Cities radio station, KSTP, got the live feed. Again, this is radio. KOZY in Grand Rapids got the live feed from CBC, and we listened to it live on the radio, so we did know the outcome when we saw the tape delay broadcast on ABC. And I'm eyewitness to that. I I listened on the radio. I listened to WEBC, and then we watched it later that evening. Let me ask you this one. This one you may not know. Number nine, there was only, as far as they know, there was only one celebrity in the crowd during the game. John Gilbert. Do you have any... No. Well, he was there. No. Well, could be. <laughs> but uh, celebrity. No. Give me a hint. Uh, okay. He was on a very uh, well-known uh, show about the Korean War. About the Korean War? <laughs> I give up. Who? Mash. It was. Oh, Alan Jamie- Alda. No, Jamie Farr. Oh, he was at the Jamie game. Jamie Farr, okay. who was Klinger yeah. on uh, on MASH. Okay. <laughs> Jamie Farr was the biggest celebrity that saw the game. He was in the crowd. ABC camera panned by him and even said, uh, good for 20, uh, 10 or 20 seconds, that uh, Jamie Farr was there. And they've, they've talked to Jamie Farr afterwards and over the years, and he still claims that it was one of the biggest thrills of his life was seeing that game. Uh, Al Michaels uh, got the job as broadcaster of the Olympic hockey because he was the only announcer in the ABC rotation who had never who had ever called a hockey game. <laughs> Anybody here call a hockey game? Al Michaels raised yeah. his hand. Okay, you come here. Yeah. Right. Well, you're in. <laughs> he had called exactly one game, wow. and guess what that game was. It was the game in 1972, the hockey game between USSR and Czechoslovakia in Sapporo, Japan. Oh, okay. But wow. he got the job. Do you know who was sitting right behind Michaels and uh, and the other announcer in the booth that could not buy a ticket to the game had tried? Who? Do you have any idea who won five gold medals in the 1980 Olympics? Mark Spitz. Eric 
Hayden. Oh, that guy. Okay, yeah. M- yeah. Mark, yeah. Speed er- skater. Yeah. Eric Hayden. Wisconsin native Walter. speed uh, skater. Yes. And he later became a doctor in Wisconsin. A team, And he is now the team physician for the U.S. speed skating team. Yeah. But he tried his dangdest to get a, a ticket for the U.S. Soviet uh, USA hockey game. Couldn't do it. So ABC had him sit behind Michaels and Dryden on the platform. By the way, Dryden was the other announcer, the former goalie for the Canadians, Dryden. He could not see very well, but he was in the building, which apparently is all he wanted, and Michaels had his classic image after the U.S. won the game of turning around and seeing the joy on Eric Hyden's face. Now, number five, the U.S. famously got a cheap goal. Did you, do you remember this, Kenny? <coughs> the U.S. <coughs> famously got a cheap goal with one second left in the first period. Boy, I'm not, I the, would never re- reference that as a cheap goal. As a cheap goal. No. no. But it, you know, lucky? With, but with okay, one I'll second with left. Lucky. Yeah. yeah. With, and, of course, that was against the legendary Vatislav Trechiak. Yeah. He gave up a terrible rebound, and U.S. center Mark Johnson yeah. jammed the jammed home the puck. Wow! That goal did more than just tie the game at two apiece. It so enraged Soviet coach Viktor Tikhonov that he immediately pulled Trechek. And and in fact, do you remember this? There was one second left in the yeah. period. Yeah. Yeah. And the Canadians had already gone to the locker room. I mean, oh, well, the uh, Russians had already yeah. gone to the locker room. They called them back out. And when they came back out, Trechek was not in the net. They had already replaced him and brought in, uh, brought in the other goalie, the backup goalie of Vladimir Minchkin. Yeah. Right. And so, and then he stayed pulled, and Minchkin was in the goal instead of Trachek for the rest of the game. Yep, yep. I don't know what was the reason Trachek told me more than 20 years after the game. It's a big secret. Ask my coach. I still don't know. So to this very day, he still doesn't know why he was pulled other than the coach uh, got mad at him and thought it was an easy goal or whatever. Now, let me ask you this. Who do you think was the biggest star of the game for the U.S. Phil Verkota. I mean, uh, no, uh, not of the game, but for the for the entire 1980 Olympic hockey team. I, uh, um, I'll uh, give you, I'll give you this. He was a he was a defenseman. Uh, now, I'm sorry. You said the the MVP or? No, no, it wasn't MVP. But he was the biggest star. Went on to have the best success after the Olympics. Um, I'm going to say, um, I can't think of his name. He wore a beard, and he uh, played for the New York Islanders. Um, yep, Ken, Ken Morrill. Ken Morrill, there you go. Kenny Morrill. He was the glue for the 1980 team. He was the stay-at-home defensive man who cleared the puck and steadied the ship. And, of course, Morrill went on to play for the New York Islanders. The Islanders won a Stanley Cup. In fact, the Islanders won the next four yeah. Stanley Cups. Well, Neil Broughton had a pretty good NHL career, too. Yeah. I've got to... I, I, the, this guy that was writing the story said, I got to know Morrow just a little bit. He lives in Kansas City, and he's one of the great guys in the world. He will talk about what a charmed life he has led 
but he won a gold medal, won four Stanley Cups right after that. I mean, that's pretty great. Isn't that something? And, of course, the memory, of course, is of the U.S. crowd going absolutely crazy. But the guy that's writing this said, do you know that the crowd during the first part of the game was absolutely muffled? They didn't even seem to get involved at all. In fact, it wasn't until late in the second or third period when Michael said, now, finally, the crowd comes alive. All right. And they got fired up. Uh, he's right. It was utterly, the game was utterly, especially the second period. The second period was utterly dominated by the Soviets. Yeah, well, the U.S. were losing. They were losing the game. Yeah. The Soviets scored a goal early in the second period to make the score 3-2, to two, and then they just peppered U.S. goalie, who was the goalie? Jim, Jim Craig. Craig. We loved him then. You we were. love him today. Yep. The U.S. managed only two shots on goal the whole period, the second period. Uh, remember, the Soviets were huge favorites. Everyone in the crowd realized at any moment they could score three, four, five quick goals and make a mockery of the game. Uh, so the crowd was subdued until Johnson scored the tying goal with 12 minutes left. And then it was like somebody hit every person in the crowd and woke them up all at once. Holy cow, the U.S. <laughs> could actually win this game. Wow. And then, of course, the last one. This is, uh, this is, the, is the Michaels Costa story. But it's worth repeating here. Michaels did not just leave after the game was over. He called the Finland-Sweden hockey game. So while he, of course, understood just how big the U.S. victory had been, he was aware of the nation's reaction, unaware. He was unaware of the nation's reaction, unaware of the way Americans had poured into the streets of Lake Passat. When he left the game, he saw all the people celebrating, all the waving of the flags, he made it back to the hotel, and someone said to him, Wow, that was incredible. And he said, and for a second, Michaels thought, What did I say? He didn't even really realize his his word about, Do you believe in miracles? Ah. That that was something special. Okay. Michael said, and I'll end this. He said, Michael said he never gets tired of people coming up to him and talking about that call or that game. He never t tires of hearing people say they were where they were when they heard the call. I was on, in, a, in our TV room. My father was on the couch. My mother was playing cards. He said, it's just one of those moments in history that you never, if you lived it, you never forget it. Amen. And, uh, boy, that was a big deal for us, Brad, because we knew, and when I say we, I lived with, uh, there were five of us that had an apartment. It was an upstairs of a big house on 21st Avenue East and 3rd Street. We always used to boast that we lived a block away from Mayor uh, Fetal. He lived in the neighborhood. Um, but uh, we had a color TV. Well, we had the radio. We listened to the game on the radio, and then later that night we had sure. the 19-inch RCA color TV. We knew the outcome, but that was okay. We uh, ordered pizza and lasagna from Frank's East and had a keg of beer, and woohoo! <laughs> Hey, I've got an update oh, yeah. on the snow totals in Duluth. Yeah, the National please, Weather Service. That. Now, this is as of noon, and it was okay. still some light snow falling, so I'm sure this total will uh, be changed when it's all said and done. But as of noon, the National Weather Service in Duluth, 6.4 inches. Wow. So what does that do to our snow totals? That puts us above normal snowfall for the year. 
and could be a lot more coming. Who knows? Yeah, that puts well, us listen, at... Well, we're, uh, we're falling behind a little bit because of my uh, 80s Olympic thing there, but... Uh, let's take our break, and then we'll come back, and we'll get r- quickly into CBS News as well. ADAL. It is through the art of layering that humans have survived winter's harshest conditions. It is also through layering that we will survive this winter. Start with your base layer. This provides minimal protection, so you want to add another layer. Layers of coverage. Now you're moderately protected. Go ahead and add a third layer. To help you navigate winter weather. This layer of protection is a good start. Your severe weather station. But you can add another. Never no, I can't breathe. <laughs> this is KDAL, 6 and AM and FM at 103.9. KDAL time is 135 above at the National Weather Service in Duluth, 3 above in Eveleth, Minnesota. And uh, chance of uh, snow uh, continues today for parts of the Iron Range. And then tonight, it's going to be cold, Brad. 17 below on the Iron Range. Tomorrow, Friday, sunny, high, 8 above. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Yeah. I'm layered up. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one they put together. Friday's going to be sunny, but it's going to be cold tomorrow, 8 above. Now, the winds tomorrow, are, now again, we're talking the Iron Range, are going to create wind chills of minus 20 to 30 below. And then Saturday, it's going to stay sunny, mostly sunny, with a high of 16. But again, we're going to have some southwest winds, so wind chills will uh, still be in effect. Even Sunday on the Iron Range, sunny, 27 for a high. And the winds will uh, stay out of the west 5 to 10 with some gusts around 15 on Sunday. So, Kenny, is this the year we are going to see some definite changes uh, in the makeup of the Duluth City Council? I see this morning, uh, according to the Duluth News Tribune, that uh, City Councilor Eric Forsman has announced he's stepping down at the end of the year. Yeah, I saw that. So there will be some changes. Now, We are you talking about a diverse mix of political uh, yeah, diversity? Well, no. Yeah, we're no. going to lose uh, at-large Councilor Noah Hobbs, First District Councilor Gary Anderson. Yep. They've uh, stepped down. Now yes. Eric Forsman. Yeah. Politically, no, there will be no diversity on the city council. Huh. I thought maybe this would be the year would get somebody to sneak in there. And, of course, we know the mayor's up for election. Roger Reinhardt, former state legislator and city councilor, is uh, challenging, so there might be some things there as well. Well, listen, we've got to take our CBS News break, and then we'll come back with more on the last half an hour here of Sound Off on 610 KDL. Still got time for you to hear. have your voice. Uh, let us know what you're thinking, 722-0839, and we'll be back. KDAL time is 1.36. I haven't played this for a while. This is relaxing, chill-out jazz. Chill-out. I like it. So, Brad, there's a... a little chill-out. Yeah, there's a new study that's out. Now, this is out of England, Oxford, England. I don't know if you saw this. A new study says there's no evidence mask mandates did anything beneficial at all during COVID. Anywhere in the world. The comprehensive study by Oxford University concluded there's just no evidence they made any difference. The authors said policymakers behind the mandates were convinced by flawed observational studies that masking matters. Isn't that something? Yep, I, I, uh, I did see that. In fact, there was a very interesting part of that study that said, in fact, the opposite is true, that masking harmed especially younger children in schools terribly bad we 
we put an entire generation of children behind the gun, way behind the gun, by uh, not allowing them to meet their friends, by not allowing them to go to school, by forcing them to be behind a mask and stay home. Um, it's funny. Yeah, I don't know. Do you, uh, do you still see people wearing lay masks? Down, well, yeah, he absolutely has. Do you still see people wearing masks? Yes, I do. I do yeah. too, Brad. Every once in a while. Not that often, but every once in a while I'll see somebody, especially like at Walgreens or in a grocery store or something like that, I'll still see people. Well, we heard from Jerry uh, in Duluth here. Jerry called in a couple of weeks ago talking about all the contaminants that you're inhaling into your lungs from the masks. Oh, yeah. And where were a lot of them made? China. <laughs> That's right. And we all bought into having those good quality uh, MP3 masks or whatever they were called. They were all made in China, or most of them made in China. They didn't work either. Say, uh, we had a situation happen down here in Florida yesterday that got national news. And I thought about it this morning only because of the connection with legislation that we just did in Minnesota. Have you seen that legislation uh, that passed, by the way, uh, that you can't question anybody because of their ethnic hairstyles? Have you seen that? Yeah, there's, yeah. Yeah, it's called it's, the Crown it refers Act. To it, the Crown Act, that's what it yeah. is. Well, I thought of that especially because yesterday down here in Florida, down in the Orlando area, we had a guy uh, um, that shot, uh, well, he shot a woman earlier in the day and uh, and killed her. And then, uh, well, news people were there, two news reporters, uh, an, an a reporter by the name of Dylan Lyons, a reporter for Spectrum News 13 was on the site with his, uh, uh, um, what do they call it, the, uh, the well, the, the uh, cameraman. Well, he wasn't a cameraman. He was their, their sound Yeah, technician. I think he was, Brad. He was, uh, yeah. he was a photojournalist. Was he? Okay, and his name was Keith Melvin Moses, I believe, is the suspect. He's the suspect, this uh, Melvin Moses. They showed a picture of him last night. He showed back up at the scene while they were taking a video of uh, of the scene. And he shot and killed the news reporter, this Dylan Lyons, and shot and seriously injured the multimedia journalist. Brad, he who, critically who the injured the photojournalist. He cr yeah. Critically injured I mean, injured is him. he dead? No, uh, he's not. He's not, not dead, dead but he was critically, critically injured. injured. Yep. Right. So then... He then went from there to enter another house. He entered a home uh, where a younger woman was and her nine-year-old daughter, and he shot both of them and killed the nine-year-old daughter. Now, they had a picture of him on TV this morning. Yeah, I saw it. He, did you see it? Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. Talk about the crown look. Yeah. He has his hair done like a crown. He's a, he's a, a well, black gentleman with spikes. Well, I wouldn't call him up. a gentleman. No, <laughs> but he has his hair spiked like a crown. It goes in five different directions, all uh, coming up in uh, one area. But in Minnesota, if you even mention that, you would be discriminating against him yeah. now because that's an ethnic hairstyle. Can we examine his heart and his mind and be discriminated well, for that? 
You should be able to because the sheriff this morning on uh, the local television station talked about the fact that he had a criminal record that's as long as your arm. He had been arrested seven or eight different times for gun usage, for assaults, for battery. Uh, why he was still out on the, uh, you know, on the lam, as they say, why he was not in prison, uh, they're going to have to reexamine this whole whole case. Uh, but this guy is a bad, bad dude. Anyway, did you one one thing I couldn't help but notice yesterday uh, when uh, Joe Biden was in uh, Poland. Uh, it turns out one of Russia's uh, best uh, partners in crime right now is Iran. Iran has uh, acknowledged uh, that they have been enriched enriched uranium to 84%. If they get it to 90%, that's a nuclear grade for making an atomic bomb. And they're very close to that. They were never supposed to get anywhere near 84%, but they have admitted themselves that they uh, they have uh, six centrifuges now that have uh, risen to the 84% level. But how does this help Russia? Well, here's what they're doing for Russia. Russia is kind of looked at now as the cast-off of the universe because of this war with the Ukrainians. Um, so Russia's looking to try to get some additional help with military supplies. And Iran has said, yeah, we've got a bunch of drones we're going to send you. We're going to send you as much as we can there. And we've got some other things. But more importantly, what we're going to do is Iran has now signed a breakthrough agreement to provide Russia with 45,000 Iranian autos. Does the word Yugo ring a bell with anybody? <laughs> because uh, the, the, uh, the Russians that have used this, these Iranian cars before, they're very small, they're low cost. Uh, they're called Leda vehicles. Auto vans, the produ producers of Leda vehicles, uh, the uh, the Russians that have used them before said uh, they're not going to work too good in Russia uh, because, number one, they've never been tested in harsh Russian winter conditions. Now, they, the total sale, meaning parts, equipment, the vehicles, uh, setting up uh, dealerships and everything, is about a $450 million U.S. deal. Um so this is the the, the uh, Russians have said that they're more than happy to try to use these vehicles to replace them for the general public because you know the Russian general public is not very well off they've not uh, uh, they don't have a whole lot of money and they've sold these cars in Russia based on an old Peugeot frame they've taken the old model the Sam Samand model Peugeot four o five from the nineteen eighties. And they're using the same frame and building these. Can you imagine the pile of scrap they're going to have out of these 45,000 cars made by Iran that's going to be used in in, uh, in Russia? It's amazing. Well, listen, we have a, we have a new uh, candidate on the Republican side for presidency. We know we've had Nikki Haley. And, of course, uh, a former president, Donald Trump, was the first to put his name out there as running for uh, president. But we've had a third candidate now. Yeah, coming out of Columbus, Ohio. His name is Vivek Ramswamy. Uh, don't everybody jump up and down at once. 
Vivek Ramswamy. Uh, I'll tell you a, a little bit about Vivek when we come back from our Minnesota news break. He's a uh, he's kind of a unique mix of a blue collar. He, I'll tell you what, he has some strong uh, conservative values, but he's a blue collar Cincinnati roots uh, that has graduated from both Harvard and Yale and says he's the kind of guy that uh, people in this country need is a good, strong, uh, conservative-valued type of individual that's not a, not afraid to uh, work hard. So we'll tell you a little bit about Vivek when we come back after our Minnesota news break. KDAL time is 151. We are overcast, light snow. Uh, snow seems to be wrapping up here in the Twin Ports. Six above right now, uh, minus 12 on the windshield. North wind at 14. Well, Kenny, we've been talking a little bit this morning about some of the uh, additional things that the Minnesota legislature is coming out with uh, to freebie colleges and things like that. There's another one. Um, have you ever heard the expression starving artists? Of course, we all have, right? When uh, when an artist starts off, uh, whether it's painting or pottery or whatever, a lot of times they have a really hard struggle. So the Minnesota legislature has decided they're going to try something new. They're going to pick 75 Minnesota artists, and they're going to give them $500 guaranteed monthly income payments for uh, for nothing no strings attached they don't have to they don't have to provide anything they don't have to say how many uh, pictures they've painted or whatever it is no strings attached $500 a month if you are a uh, starving artist what, a new what, artist why? starting what, what, off what yeah, well, no. just uh, kind of keep them uh, interested in being a painter or a, a, what a pottery maker or a leather belt maker, whatever they're. Well, what whatever. if you work for an advertising firm and, and you do a lot of signage stuff? Is that artwork? I think it is. I don't. Yeah, you're asking too many technical questions, Kenny. How, how much are these artists going to get? $500 a month. Oh, five, that's no nothing. Attached. 500 bucks a month? Come on. You Democrats, okay, then it's no got to be deal. a grand no at deal. least. God, don't be so cheap. <laughs> 500. Well, this is one of those things in Minnesota. This is the way it'll start off. But you know how it goes. It'll be much bigger than this. Anyway, going to give you a little bit about Vivek Ramswamy. Vivek Ramswamy. Uh He's one of these guys we have. Well, first of all, before I get into that, I want to. We've got a caller on the line. I want to get to him. Um, I think we have a. No, maybe this no. is from before. Yeah, yes. That's before, isn't yeah, it, Kenny? It is. Okay, never mind. So, Vivek Ranswamy, obviously, his parents uh, came to this country uh, from India. Uh, the son was uh, born here in this country, though. He's a unique mix of blue collar Cincinnati roots and Ivy League education. Uh, he says, uh, you know, I can talk to people about anything because I've I've got grassroots that are in the communities. He said, uh, for example, if you want to know where the best place to eat in Columbus, Ohio is, I can tell you the Skyline Chili Restaurant chain, beloved in the region. He, uh, he evidently was interviewed on uh, Fox News with host Tucker Carlson's show. He made the decision to run for the party's nomination within the past couple of months two years after briefly considering running for the Senate when uh, Republican Senator Rob Portman announced his retirement. 
He said, I'm glad he didn't make that move because he was in the middle of writing his book. He's written a book uh, called Wonk, Inc., W-O-K-E, Inc., uh, it's a timely, uh, it's very just right, this whole wonk idea in America. He said, today I'm ready. He brings a message that rests firmly on his belief that America is missing missing a vision of national identity. And he sees himself as the only person who can deliver it properly. If you ask most people what it means to be an American today, you get a blank stare. He says, national identity centered on, I, I believe that our national identity centers on excellence, on the revival of merit and excellence in every sphere of our life. It is the guiding light of why I'm doing this. If this message were the kind of thing that I could in a high fidelity way give you to someone else and hand off, I'd do that. But he said, I think I have been chosen to be the person to deliver this message. He's 37 years old. He has been very successful in his uh, young career. He owns his own company. He's made some uh, good money. He said, I think the nature of the moment we live in and the national identity crisis we're in the middle of right now and the nature of my message are tied together. Ram Swamy was the first Republican millennial candidate for president ever in this country, and he will go up against and debate Donald Trump and Nikki Haley and uh, Ron DeSantis, if Ron gets into the race, there's also Senator Tim Scott, from uh, a Republican from South Carolina, that's indicating he might be running. Uh, but he says the the whole idea of wonk in this country is tearing this country apart. We need somebody to bring the country back together. And he said, I'm the guy to do it. So, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But in the meantime, in Minnesota, folks, there's some good news. I want to give end up the show today with some good news. There's a lot of miners up on the range that are going to be going back to work. This week, uh, Cliff, Cleveland Cliffs began calling back hundreds of laid-off North Shore mining workers uh, at their Silver Bay pellet plant and in the mine in Babbitt. Uh, they're expecting to reopen by April. Uh, both facilities have been idled for nearly a year over royalty disputes and as the use of scrap metal and electric uh, arc furnaces reduced the need for any kind of pellets. Well, all of a sudden, we're out of pellets, and there's a need for them again. Uh, Lawrence Congre- uh, Conclaves, uh, the owner of Cliffs, has been reporting, I'm glad mining operations will be reopening in Babbitt and Silver Bay, and the mines will be returning to work, said uh, U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar in a statement Monday. Also in the statement, Governor Tim Wall said last month we extended unemployment insurance for hundreds of mine workers, a critical bridge for workers waiting for today's news. Now we can get these people back to work again and start bringing that revenue back into the state of Minnesota. Uh, And he, he went on to say that he was encouraged that Cleveland Cliffs is beginning that process. So my last word today is tomorrow is Friday. We like to try to keep it a little lighter on Friday, but I'm out of jokes, folks. So if you want to send me a, a short, funny joke, clean joke, please do it to Brad period Bennett at mwcradio.com. And uh, maybe tomorrow you'll hear your own joke right here on 610 KDAL. You know what you're overdue um, for? Uh, what? Some knock-knock jokes or some Ollie and Lena jokes. 
There you go. Yeah. Oli and Lena. I want to hear Oli and Lena jokes. Yeah. Okay. We'll try to come up with some of them for tomorrow. Anyway, folks, have a great day. Don't shovel too hard, and we'll be back at it tomorrow morning right here at 610 KDAL Radio.